I'd like you all, if you would, to stand. If I can have everyone stand. Sorry, choir. I know you just sat down. We're going to start with some calisthenics. Dr. Estep said he had to be 30 miles away for me to be able to come back and join you, so I need someone to map quest Blythewood. Make sure we're more than 30 miles away. Before I start this morning, uh, I want to open us in prayer, but before I do that, there are two major pets in the households of America. Cats, and there are dogs. Cats are the household animal that rules the roost. They walk around and act like you owe them something. Cats walk around and act like you're sitting on their couch, uh, that you're eating out of their bowl, uh, that you're glad, they're glad you're home so that you can hang out with them. Dogs, on the other hand, are a little bit different. Dogs meet you at the door with a lick and a smile. Dogs are just glad they're a part of your household. And dogs are always glad when their master comes back home. So today, I I believe we have enough cats in the church. Today, I want to learn how to be a dog. So if you will, I want you to grab your neighbor's hand. And I want us to open in prayer this morning. And I want us to learn about the greatest dog of all time. This man named Jesus. Bow your heads if you would. Father God, thank you for showing us servanthood. Father, yet while we were still in our mother's womb, you served us. Father, today that we might begin our service back to you, not half speed, not halfway, God, but completely in awe of who you are. God, that a revival might break out in First Baptist Church this morning of dogs for Jesus. And we pray in the only name worth praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, have a seat if you would. Please open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I would like to uh, open up by giving you a little background of where we're going to pick Jesus and His disciples up this morning. Jesus' ministry up until this point has been something we're very familiar with. Uh, He had fed 5,000. He had uh, cured disease. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, He had walked on water. Some pretty neat tricks. I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried any of those. But Jesus had been all about the people that He was ministering to up until this point. Jesus had served. He had fed. He had healed. He had done the things to garner the attention of the culture. And so here, in John chapter 13, we have a shift. A tremendous shift of ministry. See, the ministry of Jesus had been about them for the whole time. He had been trying to show them where He'd come from and where He was going. It was all about them. But this shift in John chapter 13 is going to become now all about Him. You see, this, this meal that occurs in John chapter 13 is the meal of meals. It's, it's the time. It is the uh, awakening. It's the Carolina versus Pickens County. I mean, Clemson. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this unbelievable event that everyone had anticipated. We picked Jesus up this morning with a drum roll so loud you can hear it in Newberry. Jesus this morning is at the shift. The whole Christianity, everything hangs in the balance of Jesus. And this place, this room, and this feast, this Passover. 
So it seems that we see Jesus here at this ultimate awesome place, and yet He chooses to be a servant. He chooses to have ultimate servanthood. So let's pick Jesus up this morning. John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Let's see what kind of servant the greatest champion was. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own that were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was going to return to God. Now, I want to stop right there. This morning, I want to really evaluate this passage for Jesus' servanthood. Now, the first thing that I want to talk about, the first kind of servant that I see that Jesus was in this passage was, He was a wise servant. You see, in verse 1 and then again in verse 3, John says that Jesus knew. Now, I don't think that it's a a, a, a spoken message enough for me to stand in the pulpit this morning and say simply, Jesus knows. We do not serve a God that sits on a a banister. We do not serve a God that sits in a chair. We do not serve an old man in a rocking chair who sits up in the heavenlies and wonders what's going on on earth. See, we serve a God who knows. And I want to challenge you this morning not to consume, not to to shorten the sovereignty of a God who loves you and knows everything about you. See, we serve a God who knows. He was a wise servant. See, I want to challenge you this morning that every single person in here, God made you. He knitted you together in your mother's wombs before you were ever born. He knew your name. And the Bible says that He was with God in the beginning. He saw the first hill ever come to be. He saw the first man ever come from the dust. And He saw that first woman, yes, it's really true, scientists, come from the side of Adam. See, He was there in the very beginning and He knows. He knows what you're going through right now. See, I always tell people lately, I've, I've been a real, tried to be a source of encouragement with the situation we have. I don't know about you, but my God still has His name on all the money. See, my my God is the one who woke me up this morning. My God is the the greatest psychologist. See, He made the mind. My God created air, which is one molecule away from a poisonous gas. My God keeps us the exact distance from the sun we need to be. My God keeps us exactly where we need to be. He marries us who exactly we need to marry. He gives us kids exactly who we need to give. He gives us families exactly who we need. My God is a sovereign God who knows. And I challenge America, and I challenge us in this place this morning, do we understand God knows? Do we understand that God knows? We are not informing God when we go to prayer at night. We're not telling Him about what happened that day or about the bill that's coming tomorrow, praise the Lord. He knows. See, God is not an accident God. He knows such word. He knows no such word. See, my friends... We serve a God who knows. And how much more valuable then, how much more valuable then if He knew before the foundation of the world that He would be sitting with sinful men at a table, how much more valuable then is it that He chooses to wash 
their feet. See, we don't serve a God who didn't know what was happening, sent to earth on a mission plan that he had no direction. We serve a God who knew Lazarus would come out of the grave. He knew he would walk on water. He knew Peter would deny him three times. Jesus knew. And I challenge you this morning that God knows exactly where you're at. He knows what sin you're struggling with. He knows the marriage that's failing. He knows your heart. He's not absent the details. He knows. And so God, Jesus, the Savior of the world, begins by showing us He's a wise serpent. See, He knows Judas was going to betray Him. He knows He was the wise serpent. He was the wisest of servants. So then we keep reading here in verse 4, and it says, So He got up. From the meal, he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, the second kind of servant Jesus was, was he was a humble servant. I dare to say... Jesus Christ was the only man who had a resume to be prideful. He was the only man who had the chance to put his chest out. He was the only man who knew no sin. He was the only man who had no fault. And yet he chose that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. You see, Jesus was the humblest of service because... At the time, at this banquet feast, you see, men would have come clean. They would have come clean. They would have been prepared, ready for eating, ready for feasting. But the only thing they would not have cleaned between their homes and dinner time was their feet. So they walked, and as they got there, Jesus stands up from the meal. You notice it says he got up. Jesus sits down, and then he stands up at the meal as if to say, I'm not going to let this go on anymore. I'm not going to let the religious rhetoric of the day, the participation in sacrifices, I'm not going to let the pharisaical concepts of the world, I'm not going to let them go on anymore. And his sheer posture, he stands up as if to say, I'm not going to let this go on, I'm going to do something about it. So what does he do, friends? He takes off his outer garments. He takes off his shell, his mask. And he lets the disciples see who he really is. He gets on a knee. And as he gets on a knee, he takes that towel. And he washes his disciples' feet. Remember, he's a wise serpent knowing the sin of every man and who he's wiping. He's a humble servant. As he washes the sin of the world away. You see, Jesus was a humble servant because he knew before the foundation of the world he would be chosen to wrap himself in skin and come to this place called earth. You know, I have this statement. I always tell people Jesus was the only man who knew he would be born before he was born and still chose to be born. Now, that's a lot of borns. All right? So you've got to stay with me. Jesus was the only man who knew he would be born before he was born and still chose to be born. You know, I'm going to say something real quick, and this is just a random statement. But I don't know, just knowing me, just knowing my sin, where I fall short, if I would die for me. And we're all selfish. We all know our own self. We all see through our two eyes. But check this out. Knowing the sins of all of us, the whole world. 
he gets to a knee and he wipes the feet of the men who he had traveled with. You see, Jesus was a humble servant. He was the only man who had a choice to make. He comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and it's a well-documented conversation. He says, if not, let this cup pass, but if it be your will. You see... It's so amazing to me that soldiers would mock Jesus and say, hey, if you can, come down from that cross. He could. King of the Jews, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, king of the Jews, he was. You say you're such a God, then have angels come rescue me. They were at his command. But yet the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he knew such servanthood that he would wipe his disciples' feet. You see... In Jewish tradition, there was a huge deal between clean and unclean. There was a uh, tremendous amount of importance on this concept of being clean. You see, they believed that as you headed into the temple, as you headed into town, that you were called to be clean. And unclean people were not people that we hung out with. He, He chose such disciples who were unclean. He chose disciples that Noah had no prerequisite to be religious. He chose disciples that had no place in society. He chose a place, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He chose a mother who was not married. He chose a father who didn't have a whole lot of faith. And my friends, he chose us who had nowhere to go. You see, the greatest champion was also the greatest servant. He was the humble servant. He bowed at the feet of his disciples and he washed them clean, knowing that they would deny him and run from him and scatter a plenty. But he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross so that we might have right relationship with him. Jesus is also the cleansing servant as we keep reading. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered to him, unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. You see, Peter's response may be like some of ours. He says, now I've seen, wait a minute, Jesus, hold up, hold up, wait a second. I've seen you walk on water. I've seen you raise the dead. I've seen you feed the hungry. I've seen you heal the sick. I don't know about this washing deal because that's normally for lowly servants. I'm not so sure about this, this thing where you're going to take the place of me. I'm not real sure about all that. that. I don't know. I don't think you should be doing all that. And yet, Jesus says back to him, plain and simple. I'm the cleansing servant. I came for one reason. You see, that's the most amazing thing about Jesus' ministry, about anything that He did. Yes, He came to heal. Yes, He came to provide. Yes, He came to give glory to the Father. But He came for one reason. Jesus, the Savior, the thing that we wear crosses for, the thing that we come to church for, the thing we stand up and sit down every Sunday for, He came for one reason, and that was cleansing. We were in need, me, Jack Easterby, the preacher dude in front of you, the deacon guys, the people sitting nice in the choir, all of us, we were in need of cleansing. We stood condemned. 
We stood in not right standing with God. We stood in opposition to God. But the Bible says that Jesus, the Son of God, came to cleanse. You see, it was Jewish tradition that they would sacrifice animals often so that they could place their sins onto the animal and then the blood would be taken and splashed and placed on the altar. They had been doing this for years and years and years and they had been majorly focused on the fact that this spotless animal would be crucified, would be killed, would be nailed to the altar. Jesus, the cleansing servant, has a conversation here that changes the whole history of religion. He changes the whole history of faith. He says to Peter, No, you don't have to go to some place. You don't have to do five times. You don't have to do a trip to Mecca. You don't have to go and rub something. You don't have to put a mat down and bow down. You don't have to do all that. You don't have to check a box. You don't have to go to Sunday school 19 times. You don't have to be a leader, a choir director, a singer, a pianist. You don't have to do that. What you have to do is let me wash you. They had been caught up. The Jewish community had been caught up in this religious rhetoric. This day in and day out behavior that they would earn the favor of God. And I dare say America is too. See, if we give enough to the United Way... If we challenge ourselves to volunteer for FCA, if maybe we work a little bit harder in our churches, then maybe we might earn the favor of the ultimate servant. But the Bible teaches us elsewhere. The Bible simply teaches us that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Him, and He is the ultimate cleansing servant. If we want to know what true freedom is like, if we want to smile when we get to work in the morning and wake up and go spend $4.99 on Starbucks, we need to know that the ultimate servant is Jesus Christ and He cleansed us. He cleansed us. So we keep reading. He says this, Jesus answered, verse 10, A person who has a bath only needs to wash his feet, but his, his, for the rest of his whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why not everyone was clean. So then we see Jesus as this wise servant. We see him as this humble servant. We see him as this cleansing servant. And now we see him as this forgiving servant. The only one who's capable of holding a grudge. The only man ever capable of jotting a note. Of keeping a mindset towards our sin chooses not to you see i am completely in my mind i'm completely baffled by this concept daily i hold grudges and so do you i know there's nobody in here like that amen praise the lord right okay nobody's ever held a grudge right i know she didn't sit in my seat (laughs) we ever had that in here amen all right but the only man it's truly unbelievable The only man who had the capability of holding a grudge, Peter, for you denied me three times. The only man who was cussed at and talked about and knew the heart of the men who talked about him. The only man who was capable of holding a grudge chooses not to. And not only that, he takes the man who denies him three times and he says, Peter, I'm going to forgive you for on this rock I will build my church. 
The challenge is very simple. The challenge is very simple. That we would fall in love with the greatest servant of all time. You guys may have heard the poem that I've written. And I've challenged several people with the idea of Jesus being the greatest champion. But I want to read it and I want to tell it to you right now on the idea of servanthood. And this is what it says. The debate remains allowed to find from the crowd the greatest champion of all time. So let them line up, all holding their cups, determined by their nickels and their dimes. Quickly we will see a glorified tree of athletes, politicians, and heroes. They all promote self and bank account wealth in a competition that revolves around zeros. But I dare to say the greatest champion of today is one who's been forgotten by most. He's valued to a few who sit in the pew. He was announced by the heavenly host. He was born in a stable to show that he's able to serve and lead at all cost. He seeks and he feeds the deepest of needs for all that confess he is lost. He fed and he healed. In Gethsemane he kneeled to earn his ultimate crown. Accused by a crowd. Blasphemy! Out loud. To a cross, his kingdom might come down. For six hours, he hung. No national anthem was sung. No TV coverage was given to his game. Alone he competed. Until your sin, he defeated. The king of Jews was what they called him by name. So the champion was graved by one he had saved. Never to be heard from again. But after three days, after three days, the stone was away and the locker room was emptied with sin. You see, the champion rose. He preached love that flows. He, he preached love that flows to his disciples and anyone who would listen. He preached no banner, no ring, no perishable thing, just a home with streets that would glisten. The greatest champion is Christ who paid full in price for all that call on His name. And the way that He walked and the way that He talked, He mastered this life and its game. So let's hear a cheer. The greatest champion is here. He said He would never forsake. He has all the reasons, friends. He named all the seasons. He's the greatest champion. Let's make no mistake. You know, I'm going to end a little early this morning on purpose. You know, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly convinced in my prayer and preparation of this sermon, of this Sunday morning, this August 16th in Columbia, South Carolina, that there are some people out here that need to be washed. You know, maybe you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you need to be washed of some sort of sin, some sort of thing you've been holding on to, and I'm included. But maybe you don't. Maybe you've been playing make-believe at age 65. And maybe you need to sit at the table with Jesus. And you need to be told that the ultimate servanthood is about the greatest champion coming with His garments to your table and wiping your sin away. The Bible says that He will separate our sin as far as the east is from the west. My friends, that's a long way. I want to ask you something. Two things mainly this morning before we close, and this is it. Number one, have you been washed?
Maybe you're sitting at the table. See, the disciples sat at the table and all thought they were good. They thought, they were convinced, hey, we're good, we're at the table with Jesus. Maybe you're at the table with Jesus and you need to be washed. You know, and then the second thing is I want to challenge you with who are you washing? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Who are you washing? So this morning, what I want to do is if the piano would play... I'm going to pray right after I get done. And there's two forms of altar calls. There's the man who says, the woman who says, I need to be washed of my sin. I need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to be born again. There's the man who says, I can't live any longer in my workplace like I'm living right now. I need to come forward and repent of my sin and walk, 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 walk all day long with Jesus, the greatest champion. And there's the second one. The man or woman who says, I haven't been washing other people because I'm not washed of the deepest, darkest secret in my heart. I want you to come. I want you to lay at the front of this altar. I want you on your knees in the aisle if that's what it takes. I want you to bow down to the greatest champion. I want you to tell him, wash me. Wash me. Because I want to challenge First Baptist Columbia that we live in a generation where everyone points to themselves, but the greatest champion pointed to you. He pointed to you. Will you let him wash you this morning? The greatest champion, the greatest servant says to you, can I wash you? Can I wash you? Bow your heads with me, right where you are. Everyone's at a different place in here, and I ask... That you get out of your comfort zone now. Do not stay in the comfort zone next to a friend or someone else. I want you to ask Him to wash you. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I just ask God that this morning we would be about You. That the only man who had the chance, Father, to, to do what, or say whatever He wanted, He chose to be washed and to wash God, he got up from the table as if to say, I want my disciples to know what I'm all about. God, you know we serve a champion who knows. We serve a champion who is humble. We serve a champion who, God, is so perfect. And all you're asking us today is to come forward and say, wash me. Wash me. Father, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, that they might have been pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Bring who you want. God, bring them to the altar. And we pray in the only name worth praying, in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation, I'll ask if you stand. If you need to be washed, if you need to be washed of anything, I'll ask that you come and be washed by the greatest champion.